Welcome to Series 6, Episode 5 of York Hospital Ball. Our guest this week is local hero Gary Ford, who broke into the York City First team aged just 17 years old and is synonymous with the success at the club in the 1980s. Key figure in the 1983-84 record-breaking season, Gary also scored against Liverpool in the FA Cup, two of many highlights during his nine seasons at the club. He later went on to represent the likes of Leicester City and Port Vale before a knee injury forced his retirement in 1995. This episode is sponsored by Paul Bowser, the new club historian. Paul is currently putting the final touches to part two of his book, Boothen Crescent, A Second Home. The first part was a sellout, and those interested in the second part should enquire at minstermanbooks at outlook.com. Minstermanbooks at outlook.com. These podcasts are a spin-off of York Hospital Radio. We rely heavily on donations, so if you can spare five or ten pounds, then please consider donating by texting 5YHB or 10YHB to the number 70450. So five or ten pounds by texting 5YHB or 10YHB to the number 70450. But for now, sit back, relax and reminisce with the legendary Gary Ford. So Gary, welcome to the podcast. Let's start at the beginning of your career then. I believe you had schoolboy forms with Hull City and you played for local side Lehman United before York City signed you up. So can you talk us through how you ended up at York City? Well, like you say, I was at Hull City between the age of 13 and 16. But when I was at 16, I got an injury. So they let me go just before I was 16. And I was playing for York City boys, schoolboys. And I think Wolf McGuinness was on the line at the time. And I think he just chose me. And I left school in the June and I was ended up at Brooklyn Crescent in the July as an apprentice. And were you a York City fan growing up? I'll be honest, my dad used to take me to Leeds. <laughs> so I was a Leeds United supporter. Uh, had you ever been to Brooklyn Crescent when you were Oh, yes. My dad, my dad used to take me to Brooklyn Crescent as well because his dad, my granddad, was a York City supporter. And what was this apprenticeship scheme like? Were you sort of cleaning the boots and cleaning the stadium yeah. and all that then? Yeah, my first job was... Um, I think I was painting the corridor outside the changing room. That was one of my first jobs there when we started in the June, July time. And do, do you think that's sort of, because there's a lot of debate as to whether, because that sort of thing doesn't happen these days, does it? And it, it almost feels to me like players nowadays in the academies are, are a little bit pampered from what you hear. And that there was some talk that maybe it was a little bit of sort of slave labour and a bit of a sort of bullying culture in, in some of these youth teams. But what, what was your experience of it like? Do you look back on that fondly? I think it was very good. It was, it was just discipline. And I think you needed that that age. I suppose it was like going in the army to be honest. Yeah. You had your boss who, you know, you had to be there at nine o'clock in the morning, you had to clean all the boots, you had to put all the kids out. Even when I played in the first team, I was cleaning the bath afterwards. Even when I played at 17. Again, you never became that professional till you turned your 18th birthday. So you, even if you were playing in the team at 17, you weren't treated as a professional until no, you turned no, 18? No. I used to help the physio with the putting the boots out, putting the kit out. Even at Reading, my first game, I was putting everybody's boots out, kit out, and I ended up playing. Like you say, you made your debut at just 17 at Reading in a 3-0 defeat in October 1978. What do you remember about that game? Not so much about the game. I think I was a bit in awe, really, because it was my first game whatsoever. But I wasn't told until before the game, just an hour before 
before the game that I was actually playing. So I was still an apprentice, playing in the youth team one Saturday morning. And the coach at the time was a friend of mine. I think we played Middlesbrough or Sunderland, and I think we beat them 1-0 on the Saturday morning. And I scored the goal. And the coach says to me, you'll be playing for the first team next week. I went, I'm too young. I'm only 17. But it was right. I actually played it ready from that Saturday. And did that sort of help you with, with sort of nerves and stuff? I think when you're younger, you're a bit naive. You don't really have the nerves till you get a bit older, actually. What were the other players like in, in the dressing room when you when you start? Because if, if it was that kind of quick to the first team, they probably won't have known much about you, will they? I think they did them days, you see, because he didn't have... When he was an apprentice, he actually trained with the first team. Nowadays, the younger guys train separately. So basically, there was myself, John, and John Harrison. There's only three of us as apprentices. So he actually trained the first team. So you had to grow up very quickly. So they didn't care how old you was. You know, you just had to run a little bit faster to get out of the way because they didn't want you to take their jobs. Take their place, yeah, yeah. And your first goal didn't come for some time after that. I think it was in April, wasn't it, against Darlington in a 5-2 win. And again, do you remember much about, about your first professional goal? First goal I remember was away in the FA Cup to Blythe Spartans. That's the only one that I remember when I was younger. You established yourself in, in the team pretty much straight away, really. And you, I think York came 10th. And I think after the Reading game, you, you only missed one game against Barnsley where Neil Warnock played. I don't know whatever happened to him. It must have been a great experience to just come into that team so young and, and just sort of stay in the team. Did York City give you for chance back then? I think you just had smaller squads. If somebody got injured, you would have the chance of playing. And I think when I actually played at Reading initially, uh, it was because um, Ian McDonald was injured. He actually had a problem with one of his teeth. <laughs> and that was a Friday when the manager says to me, he says, Gary, can you go home and get your clothes because you come into Reading on the Friday? That was it. I think I think the thing was as well is because, like you said, you had smaller squads, so you didn't want to be injured. Because another thing them days is you get your basic wage, but if you won, you got a little bit more money, but you had to be playing. And I think it was Charlie Wright who was in charge then, wasn't it? When Charlie was in charge at the time, yeah. First broke into the team, and a lot of this was before my time, so I was reading up on him, and, and it says in Dave Batter's uh, History of York City book, it said that he was very outspoken and had very colourful language that only certain people appreciated. What, what was he like to play for? Was, was he, as Dave has described? I think he was, I don't like to say it, but he was probably a bit of a bully, I would say that, but very professional at the same time. The old school manager. Let's say that. Yeah. Next couple of seasons were, were a bit of a slog, I think, really, for York City. Struggling in the league, having to apply for re-election at one point. What was that like for you as a young player in, in a struggling team? Because I imagine that there'll have been some sort of tempers fraying in the dressing room at times, and, and I'm sure the fans will have been getting frustrated as well. And, you know, you're a hometown boy. What was that experience like for you? It's quite difficult times because I think it's very hard when you're a local lad playing for your local team. It's a lot of pressure that's on you. They expect a lot more from you. And you do get a lot of hassle from the crowd as well. So there were difficult times because York had done really well just before, two or three years before. So I think people were expecting more. But I think we had a change of personnel quite often. So he didn't sort of click, which is quite difficult. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got that written down here. Was it hard with the revolving manager's door? Charlie Wright, Lyons, does caretaker managers in there as well, wasn't there? Kevin Randall, I think, at one point. It was that then that, that it was just sort of an unsettled environment. It was unsettled, yes. And you don't, it takes 
takes time for a team to build. When you've got new players coming in, you need to know who's around you. And them days, you had some, somebody different all the time. The fortunes of the club changed dramatically, didn't they, when Dennis Smith came in as manager in 1982. In his first season, the team came seventh and scored an incredible 88 goals as well. And, and you got into double figures for the first time, netting 11 and 13 in all competitions. Just what impact did he have on the team and, and what sort of impact did he have on you personally? I think the main impact was professionalism because he'd played at a higher level and he brought the club to a different level. And especially with Viv, Viv Busby as well, he played at the higher level. So all around, it became more professional. And what they actually did, they give you confidence as a younger player, enthusiasm, they pat you on the back. And that, and that difference in the goals tally that you've got, did Dennis Smith have a, an impact on that or was that just you improving year on year and taking your chances? I think actually with me, I was more of a provider than an actual goal scorer. Dennis used to say to me, just get the ball in the box. But then again, sometimes myself and John would interchange. So I would get in the box when John was on the wing as well. And, and John Byrne, I think, lived, lived with you, didn't he? Your mum had a lock on the phone so he couldn't ring home too, too often. <laughs> no, the thing was, John came for six months initially and I think he stayed for about six years. <laughs> I mean, it, it all came together, didn't it, in the 1983-84 season? The stats are really incredible, as I'm sure many York City fans are aware. But for those that aren't, played 46, won 31, 101 points that season, scored 96 goals against, it was only 39, you know, which was the best defence in the league. And again, identical sort of goals tally for yourself with 11 goals. It must have been a dream to play in a side like that, high scoring and, and, and low conceding. I think it was all down to Dennis with knowing the guys that he brought into the team with experience. Because we were young guys and we didn't know the level that we were playing at at that time. People like Sean Oslegrave, Roger Jones, they played at a higher level and they brought confidence with us as well and looked after us. And even going out at Boone Crescent at home in that season, you knew, to be honest, you had the confidence, you knew you were going to win. But we were all... It was a very friendly club. Everybody was together, even off the pitch as well. Family, everybody. I've only had the very similar was when I played for Port Vale. We had a couple of years there, which was very similar, but you only get the odd year when it's like that because people move on. The crowds seem to be getting bigger and bigger as well. I look back at the stats of that. I think it was 2,700 in the first home game against Rochdale. I mean, it was up to past 11,000 against Doncaster in April and 7,000 against Bury on the final home game. Both games in which you, you scored. The Doncaster one was a great lob wasn't it over the goalkeeper and the Bury one at the end fans spilling out onto the pitch you must have such fond memories of that time you do have memories but it goes so quick it's like a flash talking about the Doncaster goal where I lobbed the keeper there was a guy one of the Doncaster supporters ran onto the pitch and confronted me I think he wanted to fight me <laughs> and all I could smell was beer <laughs> so I think he'd been out for in the pub before the match. Probably tells its tells its own story, doesn't it? I did say about the sort of team effort, but the players that you did play with, some of them were phenomenal work in, in terms of York City's history. Keith Walwyn, for example, he, he comes up a lot of times on the podcast. I mean, what was it like to play with Keith? I would put Keith as mine and John's big brother as he looked after us. We were only, what, 22, 23-year-old. Keith was probably in his 30s or late 20s and people were afraid of him because of his strength but he was the nicest man you could ever meet to be honest and like I say my job Dennis just kept saying put the ball in the box and let Keith throw it in the net that was it he'd throw himself at everything <laughs> and, and some of the other players as well in, in that squad like we mentioned John Byrne and John McPhail as well at the back and Brian Pollard the list is endless isn't it but even uh, even for someone like me who, who didn't see that side I, I know all these players because of the right. sort of legacy that comes from that era yeah I think it was just with 
Dennis, but buying people in, and they bought the right people in at the right time. 84, 85, 85, 86 were, were both really good seasons for York City in the league, but these seasons are obviously massively overshadowed by the FA Cup games, weren't they? So I wanted to spend a, a fair bit of time sort of discussing those. I mean, let's let's start with the Arsenal game. I was watching it back on YouTube the other night, and the pitch is a massive leveller, isn't it, for a start? But the atmosphere looked incredible. Fans almost like coming in waves on from the uh, the shipo end, and the catering stand as well made me laugh when someone was about to take a corner. That was LNA actually taking the corner when there was with the hot dog stand. <laughs> Just complete worlds away to sort of now. But I mean, what what was it like that game to play? And I think you had quite an early shot in the game, didn't you? And I saw you jumped it was about ten feet in the air when the penalty went in. Did you always have belief in Keith Ouch in in the penalty? Keith was very cool, very calm and collected. Was Keith very steady player? And I eventually, well, I'll tell you later on that I eventually decided to play for Keith when he was at Hartlepool as a manager. But it was very very cool, was Keith. And what was it like for you playing in that game? Will that have been the first time you've been up against Division One quality fullbacks? And you find the higher that you actually play, sometimes it can be easier. It's not as 100%. It's not like it is in the lower divisions. If you can play, it's a little bit easier. I think you've got more respect. Yeah. Let's talk about Liverpool as well. The first game with them, you crossed the ball in, didn't you, for the equaliser or in the build-up to the equaliser with Ricky Brazier scored. You crossed it in and then I think it hits the bar about three times and it was a bit like a pinball <laughs> machine in there and, and then Ricky Brazier scores and you were all celebrating. Yeah. And I noticed there was a massive bottle that just sort of missed Keith Warwin's head by about an inch I think I mean again it's which doesn't I think it actually it's Ricky on the back I'm not sure that's that's one of the things I do remember but I don't think Ricky had scored another goal I'm not sure <laughs> but again what, what do you remember of that, that first Liverpool game I mean the atmosphere in Boven Crest I think, I think it's the excitement of the crowd I remember walking into training one day when they was waiting you know to collect the tickets and there was a queue that I've never seen a queue like that before in my life before and it was fantastic to be honest and you, and you talked earlier about that you would get nervous as you get old was that one of the games that you were nervous for playing Liverpool? No, I think I was still at a younger age. Still still quite young and still not feeling it. And then, then the replay going to Anfield. That must be a dream going to Anfield, playing at a stadium like that and the this is Anfield sign, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, and everything that, that kind of goes around that. But did it feel like a bit of a nightmare when it went to 7 0? And I think my dad says it could have been about 20 0 that night. Liverpool were just. I think it was, it was just one of them games where they'd hit one from 30 yards and it'd go in the top corner. It wasn't that we actually played that bad they were that good I think they were the, at the top of the game at the time probably Dennis used to give you a rollicking for about five minutes then he'd then he'd pick you up again, which is quite good. And the second contempt played Liverpool at Boven Crescent a year later. I mean, how did it feel when you drew them again? It's just, it's, it's a one-off, isn't it? It's very strange. But everybody was up for it because we, we, we knew we had a, we knew we had a chance at home. And, and again, the, you know, the, the pitch was a bit of a leveller, wasn't yeah. it? But, but you scored the goal that put York in front. A great bit of hold-up play, wasn't it, by Keith Warwin and a really nice layoff. It Was that instinctive that you knew that Keith was going to lay it into your path and yeah. arrive quite late, don't you, hit it? What, what, what's your memories of that goal? Very strange because Keith is Skillful-wise, wasn't the best. He was good at hustle and bustle and strength, but he's, that's probably the best touch he's ever had in his lifetime, I think. <laughs> and what was it like for you scoring that goal against Liverpool? What what did it mean to you? Well, everything, to be honest. You can imagine coming from Lehman Road and walking. I used to walk over the Clifton Bridge. I didn't have a car at the time. Then walk back. Yeah, it was everything. My parents would have been there. And uh, I think my eldest son had just been born at the time. I think he was about six months old. And when, when it sort of goes to a replay, 
because you're one of the I think I've worked out there was there were seven players that played in the previous the seven nil game and, and you were one of those. What, how how did you feel about going there in the replay? Did you put the seven nil out your mind? Did you think a bit of determination to go there and and almost make a point? Or I remember getting interviewed after the when I scored the goal at Wooden Crescent against Liverpool and uh, I think it was John Watson at the time and he says to me what you expect going back to Anfield I says as long as we keep it to six I'm not bothered <laughs> and the cameraman shook my hand after the interview and there was some money in my hand <laughs> so they gave me some money for the interview so basically the Liverpool Man United whatever they used to give them money for the interview so I just shook his hand and thought well what's, what's he put in my hand it was some money we just wanted to improve on the on the last game yeah I think because the pitch was so bad it should to be honest it shouldn't have been played then we arrived at Anfield and the, the pitch was just like a bowling green everyone knows that game was much better wasn't it than the 7-0 and a fantastic performance by Oxy and one in which you could argue that they, they should have won I mean again there's no footage anywhere of that 3-1 game yeah because uh, we got uh, cheated yeah well that, that's it and, and every everyone who it was there sort of says that Keith Warwin's goal there was nothing wrong with it and I think even Liverpool players admitted that didn't they on the way on the sort of route to late, the final late, later on day they said that yeah it was a goal and we were cheated and it was to be honest it was the referee gave the goal it was the linesman that flagged it up because Kenny Dalglish was stood behind him do you think that, that's what it was just the influence of not yes. wanting to give it against a big club and what was it like in the dressing room after that then what I think we're all exhausted to be honest you know we went into extra time we'd give our all and just deflated to be honest because we knew I've, I've never been cheated in a game and that's the only one ever because I'm so disgusted with Dalglish that's why because yeah. he persuaded to linesman to cancel the goal yeah, but then when that dust dies down of that game, I mean, you, you must be incredibly proud looking back, driving Liverpool so close to beating them and, and the fact that they, they've had to rely on a linesman's decision to get them out of jail. Yeah, it's it's just very disappointing because I think we could have gone on, it could have given us more confidence and we could have gone on a bit further after that game. But like you say, though, the, there was no um, cameras or anything there at the time. No, well, that, that's it. It's strange, isn't it? Because the home games at Booth and Crescent have all had film from, but, but that game, I think I think Tony Cannon explained to me it was something to do with, there was some dispute with TV writers or something like that as to why it wasn't filmed but uh, yeah massive shame the, the following season 1986-87 was your final season at Booth and Crescent finished with 435 appearances which puts you fourth I think all time 64 goals second quickest player ever to 300 appearances behind Chris Topping second most FA Cup games with 36 only bettered by Norman Wilkinson and you played in every home match at Booth and Crescent from September 81 to April 1986 that's an incredible set of statistics and you know what, what did Booth and Crescent mean to you you know obviously the team of just recently moved from Boone Crescent but you played so many games there I mean that's incredible effort over a five year period to play in every home game well to be honest I enjoyed every minute of it I remember playing at Boone Crescent when I was a schoolboy because when I when you initially said about Liam United played there when I think I was about 12 year old and I think that gave me the, the buzz to want to be a professional footballer and Boone Crescent was I think them days it was very family oriented a lot of local people but that's in general I think football in general now has changed it was more local people enjoying themselves. It is naturally going to have that local sort of feel to it, isn't it? But again, when we actually, when we were actually York, you used to know your supporters, you used to get involved with your supporters. You sort of used to know them and you used to know them by name. And I think that's where it's changed. Was it a big wrench to leave York City then? Because like I think I got a bit stale, actually. I think I'd probably been there too long. Maybe because you knew the names of every supporter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd been there too long. And I think Dennis wanted to progress, but I'm not sure if the club was big enough at the time to do that. Also, 
also in them days, we were all on a one-year contract. So you weren't given long contracts. So you had the chance to leave at the end of every season if something yeah. came up. You signed for Leicester, but I think Brian Hamilton signed you. I just wondered whether Dennis Smith maybe was interested in you taking you to Sunderland because he, d- he did seem to take <laughs> quite a lot of York players uh, with him there. I didn't know whether Leicester was the main option that you had there or whether Dennis Smith did look to take you. I think there was a clause where Dennis couldn't take somebody from York at the time. So Dennis got in touch with me the day he was actually leaving for Sunderland saying that Leicester were interested. But I think maybe a month later, Dennis could maybe take somebody that was ex-York City, like he'd take Marco. The story is, to be honest... Leicester actually came in for me a year before I actually went to Leicester and they were playing in the top league at the time but I didn't actually know that till I spoke to Brian Hamilton even if I wasn't good enough just get that chance So Leicester's obviously a huge club isn't it and you started well there or it looks like you started well there in terms of what, what I could research you scored against Oldham in a 4-0 win you scored against Plymouth a week later in a 4-0 win playing alongside likes of Gary McAllister as well I think you played at Leeds in front of 21,000 it seemed to start quite well for you at Leicester was it, was it just the fact that Brian Hamilton left and David Pleat came in that maybe is the reason why, why you, you ended up not being there so long? Yeah, it was, it was just initially the change of manager. David played, he came actually into the changing room and basically said to everybody, I don't want you here. I want my players and not a nice man. One of the worst managers I've ever come across. And we had a, a, quite a good side at Leicester at the time, but he was quite disruptive when he actually arrived. Did that sort of prove to you that, that you could play at that level? I would look at the, your sort of age as a professional footballer. I went to uh, Leicester in 1987 and I was probably at an experienced age for a footballer and you can adapt people know you they respect you it's an easier game to play yeah was it, was it difficult then when, when David Pleat came in and pretty much said I don't want you guys, guys here you'd been at York City for so long hadn't you and I, I imagine felt like part of the furniture and then you've moved to a club obviously wanting to do well and then only within a matter of months that you're looking to move on again whereas you've been quite loyal to a football club before yeah to be honest I was gutted to leave Leicester because I really enjoyed it and it was a great club but I think the change of manager didn't help not for no. just for me for a few of the other guys as well but it was very strange when I first left York when he actually went to Leicester walking into a changing room when you see international players Russell Osman Paul Cooper the goalkeeper it gives you a buzz and I think I was at the right age at that time and the new manager stepped in. You mentioned your age, Ed. Was that one of the reasons as well that you did move on to Port Vale? Because imagine if you were a lot younger and you'd had that move, you might have kind of stuck it out a little bit. But maybe as you were getting a bit older in football, you're thinking, well, I don't want to just sit here at Leicester and play in the reserves. Yeah, you're definitely right there. David Pleat basically said, you'll play in the reserves, you won't play in the first team. And I thought, well, I'm not used to that. I've always played in the first team. So that's why I decided to move on. I think I regret probably leaving Leicester too early. I think I maybe left too early. I maybe should have stuck it out a bit longer. And were Port Vale the only club that you were close to signing with? Was there anyone else? I think Dennis come in as well. That must have been tempting with you, the fact that Dennis had had such a big influence on your career and you'd had such happy times under him. There was some sort of clause between Leicester, York, Port Vale at the time where I couldn't join someone. And what, what was John Rudge like to play for them? Because he, he was at Port Vale for so long, wasn't he? He was a fantastic man. Fantastic manager. I think he knew, um, I always say it, I think he knew every football every professional footballer in the land he was always looking out for players went out every evening to watch players but very down to earth you know one of the highlights in your first season must have been beating Spurs in the FA Cup I think I told you this didn't I, over the phone that I watched it back on YouTube there was some sort of extended highlights of it and, and it was fantastic again the atmosphere looked very similar to Boone Crescent in those sort of good cup games and everything and uh, Jimmy Graves had, had said I think in the build up that the only problem Spurs would have is finding where Port Vale was I don't know if you were aware of that at the time or where inspired you as players beat 
2-1, didn't you? And, and you were involved in the first goal. Yeah, I think I fell over just before the first goal, I think. No, that was a great day. To be honest, the, the people in that area, Burslem, which is like one of the potteries, and the so down to earth, great supporters, and I, I really enjoyed my time at Port Vale. You nearly missed the game, didn't you? You were stuck in traffic. Yeah, because when I initially moved to Leicester, I moved to Ashby de la Zouche. Ashby's near Donington Park, that area. Travel from Ashby over to Stoke, and the game was that massive, that the, the traffic was horrendous. So I left, I maybe should have left a bit earlier than what I did but I got stuck and I ended up getting to the ground at 2.30 but you need to put your team sheet in at 2.30 and I just got there on time otherwise I might not be able to play What did the manager say when you're rocking up at 2.30? It's not like a, you know nowadays you just ring on your mobile phone Oh, well, we had no mobile I had to stop at the phone box phone my wife Ashby to phone the club to say that I'm nearly there and I won't be long and he ended up getting a police escort through the traffic the manager said where the FNL have you been <laughs> you're normally there for about quarter to two something like that so I actually got out of the car grabbed a policeman and said can you take me to the ground did the policeman know who you were probably not but I probably described who I was and just before we leave that game beating Spurs in the FA Cup another FA Cup memory I definitely think that the FA Cup meant more back then didn't it you know you could tell with the crowd at that game and uh, some of the players that were playing every every Premier League team or or First Division team as they were back there played a full strength team didn't it it was a big event to get to the FA Cup final and you always played your best team no matter what league games league cup games FA Cup games you always played your first team and I think then you get to know each other players around you so you can the longer you play together the better it gets and this changing of squads and I just don't understand it no and I mean, that second season at Port Vale as well was a, a really good season for you I think you got eight goals you were fourth top scorer looked at some of the games that you scored in as well I mean you got two against Chesterfield in a 5-0 win two against Sheffield United in a 3-3 draw playing with some really good players as well Robbie Earl, Simon Mills who I think was at York City with you as well at one point Darren Beckford Ray Walker you beat Cardiff 6-1 as well I mean it must have felt a little bit like the 101 point season playing yes, on that side it was very similar you used to know when you came out at Vale Park you knew you were, you were going to win that game it wasn't the best of pitches it was one of the biggest pitches tell you a story about the Spurs game my dad came to that game and he went to the loo just before the match and he was stood next to Ozzy Ardiles he said to Ozzy why aren't you playing and he says my manager's told me it's too muddy and that's why he didn't play I mean you get that now <laughs> you, you must have been gutted to miss it because I think you got an injury, didn't you, towards the end of the season? No, I tore, um, I tore my Achilles. Yeah, and you, you missed yeah. out on, on the sort of playoff run, didn't you, in promotion. Was that, obviously, you'll have felt part of the side, I'm sure, but were you gutted to be on the sideline and not playing in those games? I was really gutted because I'm probably at the height of my career just before I got my Achilles injury, probably yeah. playing the best football. And I know Watford were interested in buying me as well at the time because I think they were in the top league at the time. That would have been with Elton John and Graham Taylor, That's right, yeah. weren't it? Yeah, 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 that era. I still remember walking around the pitch at Vale Park at the end not really feeling the same as the lads that have played you did get back fit and I think you played a few more games for Port Vale and you went on loan to Walsall as well and you played went on and played exactly 100 games for Mansfield and Telford and then you went to Norway didn't you to play for Tromso and, and Harstad I hope I've pronounced yeah. both of those right I mean why Norway how come you ended up playing out, out there good question actually our contracts finished at Mansfield at that time I think they were struggling for money so they released a lot of players and I was one of them and, and that was been in the May time then Malcolm Crosby that used to play for York he uh, telephoned me in the June because he was doing a bit of agent work over in Norway and he said I've got a team that are looking for a couple of players
players. Tromsø at the time was struggling in their Premier League. They were near the bottom. I think they were three points off the bottom of the league at the time. So they wanted a couple of players from England to sort of boost the confidence. So myself and a lad called Paul Lemon from Sunderland went over. We had a trial for a week and I think we started the trial on the Monday and I ended up playing for them on the Saturday. What was it like? What was was the standard like? Because I know Tromsø went, they played Chelsea a well, a few in years. In the snow, do you remember? Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that when I think yeah. Gianluca Vialli scored a couple, didn't he? That's Orange right, ball. Yeah. But, but what was it like? How was it different to what you'd been used to? I mean, obviously you've played so many games in the cross the English football leagues. What was it like playing um, in Norway? It's a different game. It's a bit nicey-nicey. It's not as tough as our league. I don't know where they would stand if you put them in our second division, maybe. And that's their probably top side. It's, it's a different game. So a lot stop- of them are not professionals. They're very, you know, semi-professionals. So they don't take probably as serious as what we do. You must have enjoyed it because you, you played out there for a number of seasons, didn't you? And I think you were player manager, weren't you, of Harstad? And yeah, that was promotion. the last season. Yeah, we got promotion, yeah. I think we won the league by 10 points in the end. Were you always sort of looking to come back to York then once you'd done the Port Vale thing in, in Norway? I think probably, yeah. To be honest, if it wasn't for my injury, I, I would probably have stayed in Norway a lot longer. Did you, mm. did you like, you mentioned there that it wants sort of 100 miles an hour and a little bit of a slower pace. Was that sort of suiting your game at that point then? It was at that age, yeah. But the, the, another thing, the problem was over there, it's all artificial pitches. So it's not the best for your body, to be honest. No. And I think looking back, because we used to train on it, we used to play on it. And to be honest, that probably did finish me off in the end, I think. The story is I came back to England and uh, I used to normally have some time off. But Keith Hoochin was the manager of Hartlepool at the time and says, can you come and play for us? And I suppose I didn't want to at the time. But then I thought, yeah, I'll do that. And I remember we played Arsenal one midweek game in the League Cup. Played the game, no problem. Next day, just couldn't bend my knee. So. That sort of dream cup tie against Arsenal turned into mm. a nightmare, didn't it, with that knee injury? Playing the likes of sort of Bergkamp, Ian Wright. Yeah. Tony yeah. Adams as well and I didn't realise it was the next day that you, that you had the issues with you. Yeah, know. I think it was the next day and I ended up going to in the Midlands because I used one of the PFA consultants to have a look at my name and had the operation and I said, well, when can I start? You know, when can I go back to Norway? Because I had a contract to go back to in Norway and uh, it says, no, nah, we won't be able to play again. <laughs> I've not planned to retire. I was hoping for maybe another couple of years. I always remember going back to Hartlepool and taking my football boats out of the boot room, putting them in my boots and thinking, oh dear, what do I do now? And I read a sort of interview that you did way back in time and you were saying that, you know, it got so bad that you were struggling to sort of pick your kids up from school with your knees and they were that yeah. bad. I think people forget the sort of strain on the body that maybe these heavy pitches and the training every day and you know the impact it must have on your joints etc I mean it, there's obviously the glitz and glamour of, of playing football that, that everyone would dream of being a professional footballer but there is a there is a cost to all of it isn't there yeah I think I think the problem with myself was I was misdiagnosed because they kept putting it down to like cartilage problems but what I'd actually done I'd torn a nerve at the side of my knee so the pain was coming from there not the actual inner knee and misdiagnosed it four times so I had four operations and the fifth consultant was the only guy that actually found what was the main problem. And I imagine that by this point, you know, the contract in Norway would have been null and void, wouldn't it? And mm. I mean, you were playing manager in that last season. Had you sort of had some sort of hopes of, of maybe going into management on a permanent basis? Um, I, would, I would love to manage in Norway, yes. But because of the, the money that they're paying, they want you to do more than just manage. They want you to play, manage. They want you to do a bit of everything. Yeah. Do you regret that Hartlepool move then? Do you regret sort of signing for Keith Archie? Because did you feel like, oh, he's a friend of mine and got the goal against Arsenal, lad? Yeah, maybe. To be honest, it was probably too much. You know, when you probably push it too far. Because TC was there as well, wasn't he, at Hartlepool? 
Yeah, Tony was out at the time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, can, I can see why you signed. Did you know that they were going to be playing Arsenal? Was that a bit of a temptation to sign for them because they had that game? Uh, no, no. No, to be honest, it was when you look at back then days, it was a wage. Just sort of a few final questions, really. What was your favourite moment in football, looking back? That was probably my best time or that was my best memory. I think probably the best memory was the goal against Liverpool. I keep seeing the goal against Berry when we won the league. I think that's one of the best memories. And all I can see is Sean Hazelgrave with his arms up in the air, thinking, yep, we've done it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, um, the fans rolling on the pitch are just incredible. <laughs> aren't they? They're literally all around the, the touchline, aren't they? It must have been such a good feeling. But I think the chance of playing at a high level as well. You know, I enjoyed that as well, playing at places like West Ham, Newcastle, good atmosphere. I, I miss the actual, the atmosphere and the, the buzz of it. And I did, did mention to you that maybe because you played so long at York City, that if you could reveal to us your, your all-time York City 11 of the, of the players that you played with. And you've not written it down, but you said it's all up there in your head. So we're, we're going to put that to the test. Right. I'm going to go 4-4-2 here. I'm going to put Roger Jones in goal. I think he was one of the calmest players I've ever come across and very mature. And I think he used to make you relax, you know, as a team. And I think of his experience parents as well. Steve's seen you right back. Steve was an apprentice when I was a professional and he had such stamina. I, I played on the right hand side. Steve was a right back and we just, we mixed very well together. You know, if he went forward, I'd look after his job and yeah, his stamina was crazy. But all in a left back, good friend of mine and uh, I think he had a great left foot. Probably couldn't tackle as good as anybody else, but he did have a good left foot. I'm putting Ricky Sabrazia, fantastic football mind. You know, he could read a game more than anybody else. John McPhail, very strong, very quick, very hard man as well. Sean Hosegrave, middle right, very experienced, looked after me and John, worked his socks off, a bit like a Billy Bremner and a Johnny Giles. They just never stopped running. And this was a difficult one, actually. I'm going to put Simon Mills at side of him that I played at Port Vale with because he was a very quality passer of a ball. And I think Sean would mix with him as a grafter. And did, did you play with him at York City as well? Because he was at York yes. City for a bit, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah that's right. Left-hand side, I'm going to go for an Ian MacDonald. I don't think you'll probably remember him. Very <laughs> consistent. He was probably playing in like my sort of position when I was 17, 18. So I probably looked up to him a little bit, I think. Right hand side, not me. I'm going to put Brian Pollard. Very noble. <laughs> Another good friend of mine. He just went at players as if they weren't even there, to be honest. And up front, I've got to go with Big Keith and Bernie. I remember first seeing Bernie when he was, what, 16 years old? And even the older professionals couldn't get the ball off it. The ball just stuck to his feet. And with Big Keith, like I said, as a winger, you just wanted him in the middle. He was so brave. And again, consistent. A lot of players there wouldn't really have bad games. It would be very consistent. Who would be managing that team? Got to be Dennis. Vid uh, Busby's coach as well because he was tremendous. And do you still keep in touch with many of that? You mentioned sort of Brian Pollard's a good mate of yours and you keep in touch with Bernie. And... I haven't spoken to Bernie for a long time because we we're quite far far away from each other. I've spoken to uh, Alan Hay a long time. I don't know if you remember, but um, one of my apprentices was called Tommy Stanley and uh, we keep in touch quite often. I think it's very different because you move from club to club, you become very friendly. Then you sort of disappear yeah it's, been, it's very strange thanks for giving it your time Gary that's great I really enjoy looking back at people's careers particularly ones I haven't seen players because football was so different back then yeah, yeah I think definitely. it was I think it was just more enjoyable thanks Gary and I hope you've enjoyed sort of looking back over your career and sharing some of your memories So that was episode five of series six of York Hospital Ball. I hope you enjoyed that. It was really good to get Gary on the series. He was one when I sort of penciled in who I wanted for this series. He was one of the top players that I wanted to speak to, given his impact at the club and, and the amount of games he'd played at Boom Crescent as well, which I thought was quite poignant given the ground move and everything. 
Thanks also to Paul Bowser, the uh, club's new official historian. Boovham Crescent, a second home. Part one was a sellout and part two is on its way. If you're interested, then please give him a, an email at minstermanbooks at outlook.com. finally if you enjoyed these podcasts please do consider donating to the charity York Hospital Radio you can do that by a text message 5YHB or 10YHB to 70450 or we do still have the original kind of way that we used to do the donations which is to go to justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio So next week is the finale of the series, Paul Barnes. Not really much of an introduction I need to do there. The absolute legend and probably the most requested guest I think I normally have between series. So it was a real coup really to get him finally on your hospital ball. And and I hope people, well, I don't think people will be disappointed next week, but hopefully not. So tune in again next week for the last of the series. (laughs) 